Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So we are beginning a two-week mini-series called Fervent in Spirit. So I'm going to be doing this um, this week and next week, and then the week after that, Pastor Al is going to be launching us into a new communal practice that we're introducing at Southside called Hospitality Nights. And Pastor Al's been working on um, creating gentle, lightweight, doable rhythms for us to experience God's help and discipleship and, and God's work inside of us, helping us become more fervent in spirit. So he's going to introduce the first of those practices in three weeks. Um, with fervent in spirit, I'm just going to essentially introduce you to several keys that I'm learning along the way on this journey with you of what it means to be fervent in spirit. And I'm going to try to get very particular and specific. The dream of Southside is that we are a, just a normal group of folks who get together, who are fervent about Jesus and his kingdom. And that means that we're relatable, we're normal, we're not strange we're not socially awkward. We're normal people that you can relate to and talk with and that you actually enjoy spending time with that also happen to be very fervent and passionate about the kingdom of God and Jesus. And so this is what one of the things that ought to make us different, that we're very serious about the kingdom. But we're also easy and fun to be around. You don't have to be strange or awkward or weird to be a Christ follower. That's something that I used to think. My idea of Christianity um, for much of the first half of my life, the only way that I can describe it is um, uh, Christian bubbliness. Like you went to church and you had to be hyper cheerful, more cheerful than any other time in the, in the week. And it just felt a little bit like uh, fake to me. And that's, that's not a commentary on other people or where I attended church. It's just how I perceive that it, you're supposed to act as a Christian. What I'm finding is that you can actually be a normal person who is very passionate about Jesus. It actually makes you more normal. And so I want to start by just kind of getting an idea of where we're at. And I'm going to ask some diagnostic questions to see how we're doing. And these are for you privately. As I ask these questions, just try to kind of answer them in your own thinking, in your own mind. We're not going to have a sharing time for this or anything, but um, I just want us each to have an idea of where we're at in this concept of being fervent in spirit. One, do you have the same view of God that you had a year ago? Has your idea of God expanded, gotten bigger, gotten deeper? Or is he pretty much the same God you haven't got any more clarity on him in the last year? Two, does your life have a sense of momentum about it? Or does it feel more like you're just going through the motions? Three, is your life purpose two layers deep? What I mean by that is 
everyone should be fairly clear on their life purpose for whatever stage of life they are right now, whether it's um, a job that you have, a career, a calling, uh, a, a, if you're a student, if your primary responsibility is just discipling, nurturing, caring for a family, whatever your role is in life, you ought to be pretty clear on you know, what your purpose is at the surface level for your life. And then there ought to be a deeper purpose beneath that that informs your life purpose, and that is a kingdom purpose. As a disciple of Jesus living in this world, as a person who is a banker or a realtor or whatever it looks like, teacher, um, caregiver, whatever that looks like, is being informed by this deeper reality that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God at work doing Christian mischief in this world. That's the deeper reality of our lives. So is your life purpose two layers deep? Four, what percentage of your life is lived out of delight and what percentage of your life is lived out of duty? Five, when was your heart last captivated by the goodness of God? Now, I stacked the deck with those questions. Like, those are... Um, those are tough questions, and they're meant to give us an idea, each one of us, like, yeah, I could probably be a little bit more fervent in spirit. And the reason I ask those questions is because spiritual fervency is kind of like caffeine. It adds intensity and focus to every other area of your life. That's what spiritual fervency is. It makes you more alive as a human being. And today and next Sunday, I want to invite you to consider what it would be like if in our fellowship, spiritual fervency wasn't the exception. What if it was the norm? What would it be like to be intimately involved in a community of people who share a white-hot faith in Jesus Christ? That's what I want us to consider these next few weeks. So how do we get there? I want, to, I want to use an illustration. The question is, what if we applied this to another area of your life? What if we applied this to, my desire was for every single person in this room to be a passionate fan of Ohio State football. Now, I know some of you are beyond saving, um, and I would just Dwayne, to keep coming, keep coming to church, keep asking the hard questions about Ohio State football. You are safe here. Wherever you are on your journey of a football fan, you are good and safe to be here, and we're glad you're here. One way to attempt that would be to force you to go to Ohio State games. Like, and this is sometimes a perception of people. If I just force you to go to church, you're going to become a fervent in spirit Christian probably wouldn't work for the football. I could also force you to wear Ohio State University gear. Probably wouldn't work. I could also just share hard data statistics with you. Maybe that would work. Um, let's just take a random team. Michigan. Let's just say Michigan. Let's say uh, last 16 regular season games. Ohio State's 15-1. and one. I'm looking over here. I'm scared to look over there right now because someone's getting hot. Someone's getting... Ohio State, 15-1, last 16 regular season games against Michigan, just as a random team. 
they had to vacate 2010, but still, they're, they're 15 and 1. <laughs> See, he's humble. He's admitting. Okay, I'll give you that. I still don't think that would make you a Ohio State fan. I still don't think you would even be softened in any way to Ohio State. But what if I did this? What if I told you stories? Maybe that would work. Maybe we go back to the 2002, and hang in there with me if you're not a football fan. This will be the last illustration I used for a long time. Let's go back to the 2002 National Championship game. Miami Hurricanes won 34 games in a row. Everyone in the world was expecting them to have back-to-back -back national championships. Ohio State was 13-0, but they were a mass underdog. They had this little-known coach, Jim Tressel, and he played a, a slower, weird, conservative style of football. And Miami Hurricanes had won 34 in a row. And what if I told you in the third quarter, 10-plus minutes to go, Ohio State's up 14-7. Craig Krenzel, the quarterback of Ohio State, is in the huddle, and his roommate, Ben Hartsock, tight end, says, I would love to have a national championship touchdown. Craig calls his number, calls the play, lobs it to him in the end zone, intercepted by Sean Taylor. Sean Taylor from Miami Hurricanes. You can just feel the momentum of the game shift. Immediately, Sean Taylor's running down the sideline. Maurice Claret, first freshman to ever start running back for Ohio State. Freshman, in one of the gutsiest moves I've ever seen in football, runs up to Sean Taylor, who had intercepted the ball, and rips the football out of his hands. Momentum shifts again. Nugent kicks a field goal. Ohio State wins in double overtime. Unbelievable. Maybe I'm turning Dwayne's heart just a little bit. Okay, I appreciate the heart. That was great. Mo, I get that. That's really good. But what if I told you that a Columbus dispatch journalist called that play a metaphor for Maurice Claret's life? One of the most hyped football players in recent college football, plagued by scandals at Ohio State, moved to Los Angeles, got involved in drugs and alcohol, depression, arrested for armed and aggravated robbery. He was actually in a police chase. He ran over these spikes, spent several years in prison, and in prison his life completely turned around. He read voraciously. I, Jim Tressel came and spoke with the staff that, of a church I was a part of, and he said, you guys all labeled him. And he's one of the greatest kids you ever met. And he's reading and he's different, and you'll see when, that, when, that, when he comes out. In 2016, Claret's out of prison. He starts the Red Zone in Youngstown, Ohio, which is a mental health agency, going after people, going after addictions. And then they started one in Columbus, and Maurice Claret goes around the country speaking to student athletes and business people and parachurch organizations even, and mentors at-risk athletes who are involved with things that are destroying them. Now, even after hearing that, you might not be a fan of Ohio State football, but I at least softened your heart a little bit. And what did I do? I went after your heart, not just your head. Because real change only happens when both your mind and your heart are both engaged. And that is the first key to spiritual fervency. If you're following along in your notes, there's a couple blanks to fill in there. And key number one is this. Spiritual fervency happens when your mind is captivated by truths about God 
in a way that raises the temperature of your heart. When your mind is captivated by truths about God in a way that raises the temperature of your heart. We see a perfect example of this in Luke 24, 32. It's a famous story in church world. Jesus meets a couple of his followers. And this is after Jesus was crucified, after he was resurrected from the dead. So he meets a couple of his followers walking on this road to Emmaus. And they're really sad. He's like, what's wrong? And they said, you've you got to be the only person that doesn't know what just happened in Jerusalem. You didn't hear about this? And they explained to him, you know, this Jesus who they thought was this new leader, ruler, king, was crucified. And Jesus, they didn't recognize him, obviously, and Jesus begins to explain to them what was probably the most fascinating sermon. I hope he retells it when he comes back, because I want to hear this. He explains to them how the entire Old Testament was pointing to him, to Jesus, coming to earth and being crucified, how that had to happen to fulfill everything that was said in the Old Testament. He gives them this, probably a very long sermon, they get to the people's house, he's going to keep walking, and they begged him to stay with them. He has dinner with them, and I think he literally is breaking bread when they realized who he was. And this is what they said. They realized who he was, and it was kind of weird that he just disappeared. And this is what they said, Luke 24, 32. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? While he opened to us the scriptures, didn't your heart burn too? The connection there is between head and heart. As someone, as Jesus was skillfully, thoughtfully instructing and teaching them things that are deep truths about reality through scripture, their hearts began to burn. And this is something that I pray regularly for us as a church, that when we get together with a book of Scripture open in front of us and talk about it and speak about it and teach about it and listen and discuss and read it on our own, that our hearts burn, that our hearts burn. So an application, one possible application is that you pray Luke 24, 32, that God would make your heart burn with fervency as you engage with Scripture through teachings, Bible studies, and your own personal reading. Scripture is not meant to just impact your head. It's not meant to make you smarter or more knowledgeable. It's meant to impact your heart and your life, the center of your being. It's the fuel for the fire that makes you boil with spiritual fervency. And our anchor verse for this mini-series is Romans 12, a It says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. And the Greek word for fervent there literally means boiling. The picture is that deep in our spiritual world, we are boiling with passion for Jesus and his kingdom. <clears throat> this doesn't necessarily mean that you're gushing with enthusiasm. Some people are more enthusiastic to, than others. It doesn't mean that only extroverted people can be fervent in spirit. We, some people, when you're talking with them, they have a, just a steel in their soul 
that comes from the spiritual fervency. They're not like going haywire and on the fringes of insanity. They're just steely-eyed when they talk about Jesus. Some people, more extroverted, need to express it in different ways. And we want this to be a church where however you express this fervency, it doesn't matter. The point is that you are fervent in spirit. Paul is talking about this deep inner life that is boiling for Christ, and the mature version of spiritual fervency looks an awful lot like talking with a person who is, in fact, in a way, deeply settled. And who everything they say has a way of gently directing you back to Jesus in the ways that Jesus is at work in your life. Now, the false, because there's always, you know, there's a true kingdom and then there's a false kingdom that Satan has designed. And so there's a false answer to all of these things. And for spiritual fervency, the, the false version comes across as discontentment. It's, I'm not doing enough for Jesus. You're not doing enough for Jesus. We're not doing enough for Jesus. That's kind of the superficial religious version of spiritual fervency. That's not what we're talking about. So key number two, true spiritual fervency is when your heart is made to boil with passion for Christ through Scripture while simultaneously becoming more settled and at rest in Christ. This idea of fervency and rest is all through Scripture. And one verse that I'll share with you that's in your notes, Hebrews 4, 9-10, through 10, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now this is a pretty um, complicated in some ways passage, but very simple in other ways passage. And that is, before you have this intimate relationship with God, before you befriend God through Jesus and his work, it kind of feels like you have to earn your way into his good pleasure. Like you have to be good enough. You have to avoid a lot of bad stuff and do a lot of good things in life. And it's exhausting because you'll never satisfy it. You'll never satisfy God's standards. So you're exhausting and you're working and you're, you're trying to make this Christian thing happen in your own strength. You're trying to motivate yourself. Why do I keep screwing up? Why do I keep messing up? And it's all about you and your effort. And Jesus invites us into a rest. I've already taken care of it. I've, I came to save sinners. I came to die for people so they can have this relationship with me forever. I paid the price. Relax. Live a life of spiritual rest. In a way, it, it affects everything. Your come off the way that you live out this faith, you seem deeply settled when this, the more this settles into your own soul. So boiling and resting. Let's look at this because that's the paradox of true spiritual fervency. And a paradox is when two things that seem to contradict each other are happening at the same exact time. Boiling with passion and at rest in Christ. An example that comes to mind for me is um, when I was younger, I forget, I was a little guy, and we lived on Monterey Street in Worcester, and my mom had just painted the entire basement 
Beautiful. It looked good. She painted the walls. I think she even like painted the floor, the steps, everything. It looked wonderful. And I walked down there and I looked at it. I just thought, this is a perfect place for this haunted house I've wanted to create. And so I was like, Mom, go do your thing. I'm going to do something that's going to blow your mind. I got all my markers and I started drawing ghosts and monsters the boogeyman, I was drawing all this stuff. All the steps had ghosts, all the walls. I was trying to make sure that every brick had something. I, for hours I was down there. I mean, hours. I go upstairs, I'm super pumped. I go up and I'm like, Ma, you gotta see this. She's like, what, what, what do I have to see? And I was like, you gotta see what I did to the basement. She's like, what'd you do to the basement? I was like, I made a haunted house. She's like, What'd you do to the basement? It's <laughs> like, just trust me. So I grabbed her hand. I said, are you ready? She's like, what'd you do to the basement? I opened the door, turned on the lights. I took her through the whole thing. And we went upstairs and I saw a paradox in my mom's face. Because she was crying and laughing at the same time. Like, Crying tears of like, I'm really frustrated, but, but laughing at the exact same time. It was like a total paradox. You're not supposed to be able to do both those things at the same I've never seen her do it since. It was amazing. The Bible is full of these crazy paradoxes that make sense. Suffering and joy. Grief and comfort. At work and at rest. Free will and divine sovereignty. Do you believe that people have free choice? Yes. Do you believe that God is sovereignly ordering every detail of the universe? Yes. I don't know what to tell you. The Bible is full of paradoxes that don't make sense until you experience them. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because you can't fake it. You can't fake the real thing. You can't fake a paradox. If I asked my mom to come up here right now and just say, just show them what you did. You laugh and you cry at the same time. Do it, do it. There's no way she could do it. Because that happened when something deep within her welled up as I was taking her through my haunted house. It was spontaneous and natural and came from within. You can't fake doing two things simultaneously that don't make sense. It's the same thing with spiritual fervency. You cannot fake it. It's a paradox. You're boiling with passion for Christ, and you are deeply at rest in Christ. Now, why is it important to know that you can't fake this? Why do you need to know that? Because it'll help you recognize if I ever begin to try to pressure you into being more spiritually fervent. You can say, you can't make me do that, Greg. That's, that's got to come to me from God. You can't force me into that. When I was in college, we had to, certain student athletes at Valpo had to go to this thing called study table. If they didn't think you were studying enough on your own, you had to go to study table. And there were football players and there were basketball players. You had to go three times a week, and it was horrible. And I asked my coach, like, Coach Drew, do I... <laughs> Come on, do I really have to go to this? That's like three nights a week. I have to go to this thing. It's like two and a half hours. And he said, you will go to study table and you will enjoy it. And if it was now, I would say, 
You can't have them both, coach. That's a paradox. I will either go and not enjoy it, or I will not go and enjoy it. You choose. Can't do both those things. You can't force someone into a paradox. You can't force someone to be spiritually fervent. Because the one way to guarantee that someone won't experience genuine spiritual fervency is to pressure them to be spiritually fervent. It's got to be more of an invitation. You can't fake being a Jesus follower who is both boiling with passion for Christ and deeply at rest in Christ. Paradox is impossible apart from him. Key number three. Spiritual fervency is something that can only be given to you by God. Now this is true in all things. We are receivers. God is giver. I think it's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? That's a pretty powerful verse. If you're ever proud about something that you've accomplished or something you've done or someone you are, think of Paul asking you, what makes you different from anyone else? We planted a church at the same time as, a, as a, a, someone that was growing to be a good friend of mine in Denver. He's a great, great guy. Better pastor than me. Fantastic guy. Very loving. Very dynamic. His church didn't make it through COVID. Ours did. It's not my fault. And it's not his fault. His didn't. What do you have that you did not receive? The reason this is working is because of Jesus. The reason this, it's not working because of any person. The reason you have anything you have in your life. The reason you have any drive any motivation, anything, is because God gave that to you. And the minute you start thinking that you made that happen, you start looking down at other people wondering what, well, what their problem is. And we don't do that. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This is a great quote by Dr. Michael Allen. He says, creation, it's in your notes, creation doesn't just tell us what God is that God is able to provide. So we look around and we see that God put everything into creation that we need to thrive as human beings. It doesn't just tell us that God is able to provide. It also tells us that we are the kinds of beings who must be provided for. It's one of the first things you need to accept when you begin following Jesus. You need him. You need to be provided for. You need to be forgiven by him. And it goes against everything that we're indoctrinated with. In this section of the world, in this time of life, we need him. Every breath is borrowed. Every breath. It's not any different spiritual fervency. It's the same thing. You want to be spiritually fervent? Don't make a goal to start motivating yourself every day. Trying to be spiritually fervent. Begin to ask him for it. And I'm going to give you a way to pray for this. 
And we're almost done with this one. This is going to be a little shorter today. Next week, I'm going to finish this off and give you some more practical tips on how to go through this. But I want to give you a way to pray. And this, I pray this way every day about many different things. It's just one of the cues in my life that has worked in prayer. It's kept my prayer from getting dull. It's kept me from just praying about God blessing food that I'm eating and just rote mechanical prayers and ruts that you get into. It's kept my prayers fresh because it applies to everything. And I want to give it to you guys. Here it is. It's your final application. Here's a way to pray. You start by saying, God, apart from you, I... Dot, dot, dot. And you end by saying, but with you, by your grace, through your spirit, I... You say, God, apart from you, I, and then you list what your life would look like in that particular area without any of his help. And then you say, but with you, by your grace, through your spirit, you give the potential of your life in that circumstance because of his help and grace and presence. God, apart from you, here's what I prayed this morning, and I pray every Sunday morning when I'm at home, almost as soon as I get up. God, apart from you, I'm going to go to the church and I'm not going to want to be around people. Apart from you, I'm going to be anxious. Apart from you, I'm not going to be able to stand in front of a group of people and say anything. Apart from you, I'm not going to be friendly and kind and gentle and loving. Apart from you, whatever I say is going to make no impact. Apart from you, nobody's going to hear it, understand it, apply it. Apart from you, our affections aren't going to be raised through singing. Our hearts aren't going to be warmed. Our faith isn't going to be intensified and directed. Apart from you, this is a waste of time. Apart from you, why do I even pastor? <laughs> like, for real. That's a genuine Sunday morning prayer. But then I say, but with you. You have not given me a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. With you, you say you pour out your love into my heart through your spirit. With you, you make me kind and gentle because of your living presence in the spirit. With me, you take words that would otherwise fall on deaf ears and cause people to pay attention to those words, Acts 16, 14. With you, dead people become alive when they hear these words. With you, dormant faith is energized. With you, the things that we idolize and the things that we depend upon in our own strength are confronted with a violent gentleness of the Holy Spirit. With you, we become better, more human, more ourselves through Christ. Do that this morning, Lord. And it works for everything. And I would encourage you to start practicing praying that way. God, apart from you, I, but with you, by your grace, through your spirit, I. And fill that part with scripture. This is what I want you to begin using to ask God help you be spiritually fervent. And what I would like to do is have you stand up and pray with me. And I'm going to ask Kara and Justin to come back up front here. And I'm going to model for you, and this is 
I haven't thought about this, so you can have some grace with me. But I want to model for you what it might look like to pray this way when you're asking God for spiritual fervency, okay? Why don't you close your eyes with me? And if you agree, as your eyes are closed, you can just under your breath say, yes, me too. Father, apart from you, we will find ways to medicate or to entertain ourselves through our day Apart from you, we will go through life with a one-layer deep purpose. Apart from you, we will read the words of Scripture and be lulled to spiritual sleep. Apart from you, we will read the words of Scripture and reject them because they don't fit my paradigm. Apart from you, I will go to church and sing and my heart will not be engaged. Apart from you, I'll go through the motions. Apart from you, I'll be a good church person that acts good but has never fallen in front of the cross and surrendered everything. Apart from you, I'm a sack of dry bones. Apart from you, I'll never want to pray. It'll feel like an allergic reaction. I won't want to talk to you, and I won't. Apart from you, I'll hold everybody at an at a arm's distance. I won't sink into Christ-centered community, but with you. With you, I'll read Scripture, and it'll come alive inside of me because it isn't a dead thing. Your Word is alive and active. And it gets inside of me and changes me, changes my affections, my opinions, my priorities, my desires. With you, I want to entrust myself completely to you. With you, I look at the cross and stop trying to earn my way into this privileged possession of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. With you, I'm at rest. I don't work for it anymore. I receive it. With you, my inner spirit is boiling with passion and fervency for Jesus and His kingdom. And with you, I spend the rest of my life being a living and breathing example for everyone around me of what it looks like to have a white-hot passion for the King of the universe who calls me by my first name, who loves me, who died for me, who was resurrected for me, who ascended for me, who's coming back for me. That's the potential. Jesus, would you do this in our little fellowship, in our little corner of the world. Make us into this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.